This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, this is Doug Field, CEO of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism, and welcome to this week's edition of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. And I have actually in the studio with me <laughs> physically today my co-host Ron Bachman. Ron, good morning. Good morning. I just couldn't stand it. I had to come and see you again. <laughs> good to have you here. Well, we're all circling up right now to get ready for Forum West, so uh, we're uh, pretty excited about that. But we've got an exciting program today, and uh, uh, we've got three really quality guests. Uh, we're going to kick off uh, after news and views with Dean Mason, CEO of Eclaris. Uh, Dean is former CEO of HSA Bank, so he's been around account-based plans and, and consumer-driven uh, health care for quite some time. He's going to focus uh, specifically on defined contribution, how that solution is emerging, even though it's not a new one, but how mm-hmm. it's emerging. And then Dan Cave, uh, the president and CEO of Nurture, going to talk about wellness, population health, but really talking to his theme is health care is a it's less about health; it's more about life, which I think is uh, you, you'll find very, very interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, it reaches out in our community, like you talk a lot about, yeah. Ron. And then our final final guest is also a speaker in conducting a workshop at Forum West. We're pleased he took time out of his schedule to, uh, to join us later t- uh, this morning. That's Ross uh, Miller, uh, MD and medical executive at Cerner. Uh, talking about on-site health clinics, but the connectivity with chiropractic care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it's one of his focuses. I'm, I'm anxious to hear all three of these guys. Yeah, re- really, really interesting and very diverse, which I think mm-hmm. we try to, to get here. But Brown, we had a big, big election last week. Uh, you know, we cannot do news and views without at least a little <laughs> perspective and opinion on uh, last Tuesday election. Yeah, it was pretty interesting, and what this potential impact is going to mean to our marketplace. You know, in the healthcare sector, what's some of your thoughts? Well, you know, for a long time, the Institute has said that um, uh, we're in a megatrend with consumerism. So in some ways, um, it's going to continue to evolve and and move forward in lots of different ways, and we see a lot of new things happening in the marketplace. But elections do matter, and there's going to be changes. And I think on the healthcare side, that it may be a little longer than most people think to actually get around to um, the discussion on healthcare, because clearly... While a lot of the candidates campaigned on limiting the ACA, it ain't going to happen. Right. The president's got a veto pen, and uh, they're not going to be able to do that. I think a large part of the focus uh, when, they, uh, when the new Congress takes place with the Republicans' control of both the House and the Senate is going to be on, on jobs in the economy. Yep. I think they're going to focus on things like the Keystone Pipeline, maybe some tax reform. And um, I think in, to sort of satisfy the promises that a lot of them made, a lot of the new folks who got elected, uh, they, they all ran, just about every single one of them ran on eliminating the uh, Obamacare. And so they'll pass a, uh, a bill that will be vetoed by the president, and they'll say, okay, we did what we said we're going to do, uh, and they'll do that early on, maybe maybe by March or April. But I think that after that, then they'll settle into some reality of saying, okay, there's a few things we can change in the ACA. I think the big interesting debate is going to be the delay of the um, uh, the employer mandate yep. and um, and the individual mandate yep. and allow people to go buy the types of policies that they really want without having to have a penalty. Um, there'll be some other things like the elimination of tax on um, on durable medical equipment and um, and a few other things, but it'll be around the edges. Uh, there may be some. Uh, broader proposals that have been on the table that haven't got much uh, national air but were passed by the Republicans uh, with Tom Price's uh, bill. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ed Gillespie, who uh, who looks like he's in a 
uh, a recount in Virginia probably will lose. I think he's behind enough that he, it's going to be pretty hard unless there's some major flaw in the election process, which also wouldn't surprise me, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, I don't expect that. But Ed put out a very detailed uh, health care reform plan. I mean, he was a very positive campaign. Um, uh, Mark Warner up there, who's probably the eventual winner, did not uh, go into a negative attack on Ed Gillespie. And Ed's a really smart guy. And he, so we have a number of proposals on the table for replacing um, Obamacare, or at least modifying it significantly as we go forward. So I, I think from the standpoint of um, the employers out there looking for their uh, what do they do next year or the vendors out there, I think it's kind of continue the process that they're going through. Try to build in consumerism, engage your employees, uh, lower your costs by changing some of their uh, health and health care purchasing behaviors, uh, get people engaged in their health care and from the vendors. I think the real issue there is all the technology that's coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, and from, the, and from the providers, I mean, you've got things like concierge services, direct pay models, you've got telemedicine coming into play more, you've got all sorts of uh, wearable devices, and even implants are t- they have, uh, they're starting up out there. So all sorts of uh, uh, interesting technologies that are going to help all of us understand better our health and health care needs. So it's going to be con- um, a continuous process of improvements and and change in the marketplace, which means there are opportunities for um, new players uh, to gain market share. There's going to be consolidation in the marketplace because we have a lot of players in different areas. Uh, I know we're going to talk about private exchanges uh, a little later, um, but uh, there's a lot of uh, players out there. We're going to see consolidation there. So see consolidation. I think you're going to see continued flow of investment. I mean, the investment flowing into this market is pretty incredible right now. It really is because of the impact and potential of technology in particular, I think. So, you know what binds it all together? What's that? Healthcare consumerism. Healthcare I mean, consumerism. it's all around. How do you engage? <laughs> Good idea. You know, somebody thought about that a while ago, and, and it really has played into the entire movement here, and we're seeing more and more people recognize that and actually use that term, which wasn't so common a few years ago. So healthcare consumerism is really at the forefront and continues to be. And we're pretty excited. You know, we're we're all leaving on Sunday to head out to IHC Forum West, uh, where the precons begin on Monday, and you lead off with your certification precon, which mm-hmm. has got a good crowd out there. And you know, you know, part of the timing on IHC Forum West was really to provide a discussion on kind of the political, you know, impact and where it's gone because it was time to come after that. But mm-hmm. also, and more importantly, give a real time look in as to what's really happening during this open open enrollment period and a first-time strategic look at, hey, what's coming for 2016 or what should we, do on, uh, what should we do, be doing with our workforce? And we're pretty pleased uh, to everyone who's listening. If you're coming out there as an attendee or a sponsor, we thank you because we're going to open the doors to our largest Forum West yet. It's uh, 30% ahead of where it was last year. And, uh, you know, humbly, we thank the industry for – you know, coming and participating, and you know, we look forward to the interaction and collaboration and uh, discussions. You know, that should take place next week at the Red Rock. Well, you know, I think what really um, uh, is happening is well, the reason why these forums grow, both the uh, the Forum West and the one in Atlanta that you have, is that I think it's really built and has been built and continues to be built around the idea of new ideas. So. We get the early adopters, mm-hmm. and then as those successes show up, we get the what I would call the fast followers. Mm-hmm. 
and then we start to move in the mainstream. And so in these forums, they're, they're going to hear new ideas. So if you're an employer out there trying to figure out, you know, where should you go next, wherever you are on that continuum of healthcare consumerism, you're going to find the ideas that are being promoted and being uh, tested out by others. You can learn from their experiences. You can see how it fits into your model. If you're not having success but you know it's the right direction but you haven't quite put it together yet, you're going to get ideas from others who have who have gone through those same trials and tribulations and made this whole movement a success for them. So it really is something people shouldn't miss if they're really serious about changing their health and health care plans for the benefit of their employees, not just cost shifting because we've never been about that. It's how is all this going to uh, help the employees and save money is what say, at the same time. Certainly, as we talk about it, it's about, sure, there, there's some there's lowering the health care spend, which is absolutely a necessity to help employers so they can remain profitable so they can create more jobs, right. you know, to right. our earlier point. Hopefully, you know, what any any changes, uh, PAPACA will be about helping to create new jobs instead of hindering employers to do so. And it's about bringing these people together, bringing all different stakeholders together. I mean, having a health plan and a broker and advisor and a consultant and an employer and a solution provider sitting at the same table at Forum. Really but you know, the, your, your keynote out there, you've got a tremendous uh, CEO panel. Yep. And I think uh, one of the key themes of, of this is going to be healthcare in the workplace. And you lead it off by having the CEOs there saying, this is important. We're going to make some changes. We're doing some changes. And here's how it's working for us. So, again, I think you have to have the real commitment from top management. And I think people um, will see the value of that and understand how companies that are being successful have brought in the CEOs into this discussion. And, we'll, and we will recognize over 66 superstars in That's a special amazing. award uh, recognition ceremony on Wednesday morning. We're really excited about that because, again, Ron, superstars, as you and I both know, really is very tangible uh, looking as to what we're about. I mean, mm-hmm. it is representative of the innovators that are uh, creating innovation for employers. It is representative of employers getting stuff done. It is representative, to your point, of C-level executive from employers and others who are leading their organizations You know, through this change, whether it's a broker organization and how they're creatively serving their clients or whether it's you know, uh, Jack Dami of a Hitachi with 11,000 employees that really buys in and is doing some really exciting things. So, you know, if if you're not going to be with us, you can find the Superstars uh, Awards on our website at thiicc.com, and, you know, we su- we suggest you take a look. But, you know, for those listening, 66 sounds like a lot. Yeah. Sounds like you're giving an award out to everybody. Yeah. But the reality is this business has gotten really large, and well, it's, it's a very select group nationally, and you've got various categories that you're doing. And so it's you have strict criteria, uh, but there's so much great innovation and, and great movement in this whole marketplace that uh, these people all very much deserve these awards. Yeah, I think it's representative, and you and I talked about it yesterday, of the depth and breadth of healthcare consumerism. Mm-hmm. Healthcare consumerism isn't just about CDHP. That's right. It isn't just about wellness. It's about a whole lot of different things happening in the marketplace, you know, from transparency to engagement, supplemental health, and, you know, probably too many to mention here in the couple minutes right. that we have left. So, right. Uh, well, we're also excited to uh, be launching a brand new event when we officially launched it yesterday we've been working on it for a while and uh you know that's private exchange forum you know uh you know we just see the space uh around defined concept private exchange is very disruptive i think in a very positive way very misunderstood in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and defined contribution and exchange content will remain a prevalent part of our two forums in june and november 
uh, will remain, you know, deep and wide in our web community and our magazine, Healthcare Exchange Solutions, and our private healthcareexchange.com database that has over 175 exchanges. But we saw a need to devote two days to a pure discussion about defined contribution exchanges and all the different moving parts of that. So, so when's that going to be? March 31st through April 1st in Dallas, Texas, which is another exciting part. You know, people have been asking us to put an event in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Great city, quality employers. This will be a national event, but it's going to pull uh, deeply from certainly the Texas market where there's a quality group of major, major employers down there. And you can find it on our forum website, you know, theiccforum.com. Uh, Super Saver rates were opened yesterday, so you can register 10 for $99. If you're listening out there and you've got some ideas on speaking, we're looking for speakers right now. That's going to be closed over the next 30 days. And you certainly you can contact Brent, uh, talk about any sponsorship opportunities. And you know, we think the uniqueness of what we're going to do is what we do on our events. We're going to focus on attendee development. Focus on the program first, but focus on getting the right people there. Employers first, brokers, advisors, consultants. So, you know, take a look. Uh, we're really excited about it. We'll talk more about it out west. Uh, <clears throat> to our audience, stay tuned for the next segment of Healthcare Consumers and Radio. Hi, this is Brent Macy, Managing Director for the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism. If you're a solution provider in this marketplace, I'd like to talk to you more about our corporate membership program that will allow you to showcase your solutions in front of our audience who will be making decisions on what they're going to be putting in place surrounding their healthcare benefit packages in 2013 and beyond. Contact me at 770-296-7276 to learn more. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Certification. Do you know why becoming a certified healthcare consumerism specialist is more important than ever in 2014? Adding this specialized designation to your credentials tells employers or your clients that you understand how much our industry has changed and how to navigate that change successfully. IHC University's certification program offers coursework both online and live at their biannual forum conference series, and testing is completed online. Reaffirm your position as a leader in the health and benefit management industry. Download our certification overview and learn more at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, this is Doug Field along with my co-host Ron Bachman, and welcome back to this segment of Healthcare Consumers and Radio. Uh, we're very pleased to join uh, this morning's guest, uh, one of the industry leaders who's got uh, a lot of experience in leading companies in this healthcare consumerism space. And joining us on the phone today is Dean Mason, CEO of Aclaris. Dean, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, nice to have you on. Dean, give our audience a little backgrounder on yourself and on Aclaris, and then we'll kind of jump into this defined contribution discussion. Sure. Um, you know, first and foremost, uh, Aclaris um, is a, we've been around for about 12 years. We are a consumer healthcare Ben admin technology and services provider and where we're a little different than some of the other players in the market is not only do we provide um, a uh, administration platform that we've um, built over the last 12 years but we also have a complete services arm um, so that we're able to partner with companies um, like SelectQuote um, but also Bank of America, Xerox, 
Fidelity, um, and many others, um, where we actually provide them the um, uh, adjudication services, call center services, mm-hmm. um, a, a full range of administration services so that they can focus on their core mission um, and allow us to bring our expertise to bear under their brand um, to deliver outstanding services. That's excellent, Dean. Uh, talk a little bit about what you see, and you've adjust, touched on some of it. So what, what do you see some of the real challenges that employers are facing right now when managing and implementing employee benefits, and why are they so excited about uh, or interested in looking at defined contribution? Sure. I mean, first and foremost is the issue of, um, you know, rising health care costs. And this isn't just from, you know, their perspective as the, um, as the employer and what's going to them, but also, frankly, out of just pure concern for their um, employees and retiree populations. And what has been demonstrated again and again, and I know you guys are, this is your mission in, in terms of talking about this, is that these consumer-directed plans um, you know, better than anything else, are able to move the dial not just on bringing those costs down, but also impacting the healthcare outcomes of the people who participate in them. Um, and you know, the I think the challenge that employers face, of course, is you know you have to spend a little more time um, as an employee or retiree um, understanding how these plans work. But once you spend that time you find not only are they more cost-effective, but um, they work in a way that gets you more engaged in understanding what your health is like, what's driving the cost of that health care, um, and maintenance of your health, and um, that leads to a better outcome all around. Hey, Dean, this is Ron Bachman. Could you um, hey, uh, put some meat on the bones there of what you mean by a uh, uh, defined contribution plan? Sure. Um, so, uh, you know, we've been in a world, and this is particularly true, um, it's moving quickest in the retiree population today, um, where, um, like, if you think about a typical union plan, for example, um, it's they very often um, have just completely covered 100% of the cost, uh, and so people go to the doctor or the emergency room or whatever, and they think about the fact that it's free, and that's called a defined benefit plan, which is they're paying for you to, you know, cover your health care. Um, in a defined contribution plan, the employer says, you know, there's a, we're going to contribute a certain amount of money, uh, and what's going to happen is we want you to make choices about how you spend that money um, in the way that's best for you. So if you think about defined benefit plans, there's typically, a, you know, a one-size-fits-all plan for everybody, and it may be fully covered, it may be partially covered, et cetera. And, you know, that, that is sort of a, you know, a rough cut fit for a lot of people, but it doesn't necessarily meet the specific needs of folks who might have, um, you know, for example, um, these types of plans work extremely well for people who have, um, um, you know, set medical expenses. They might have special medical needs, and these, allow, these plans allow you to very um, tightly kind of predict, you know, what the expenses are going to be in any one year as opposed to something where you have a coinsurance or a lot of copays, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's really up to the consumer to get engaged and understand the choices and pick the plan that's going to be best for them um, so that, you know, the population as a whole has a, uh, a better, more tailored experience in terms of their specific health care needs. Uh, Dean, you recently uh, <coughs> launched a uh, joint solution with SelectQuote Senior. 
uh, focused on retiree benefits. Tell us a little bit about that relationship and the solutions that you're rolling out together. Sure. Uh, you know, we were really pleased that um, to have that relationship with SelectQuote. Um, we've actually had it underway for a little bit of time now, and we mm-hmm. got the um, announcement out there about it. But what that is all about is that um, the, the way that employers provide health insurance to the retiree populations is evolving very rapidly. And, you know, seniors often struggle with the various complexities of today's insurance market. And so to address this, um, we partnered with SelectQuote and created this strategic partnership to um, really transform the way these retiree health plans are delivered. Um, and um, what was critical about that was the amount of time we spent with SelectQuote, um, who are experts in that population, really understanding that population and partnering. And so, for example, um, you know, we're very close with the people who actually go out and talk to these um, you know, retiree groups um, and explain to them what the various options are. And what they have is basically a exchange um, where they offer um, a variety of solutions. We mm-hmm. power that exchange for them. And then what's particularly interesting then in that population as the month-to-month premiums come in, um, we, we take those and then we pay, those, we pay the premiums um, for the seniors out of a defined contribution account, which um, their employer has uh, put funds into. And so it, you know, it eases the administration and making sure that those um, uh, premiums get paid um, um, on behalf of those seniors. And if there's money left over, it rolls over. Um, if there's incremental funds that are required because they've maybe selected a richer plan, then you know, we deal with that with the seniors as well. What are the, what are the challenges and thus the opportunities that uh, you and your partner, SelectQuote, have seen early on, and how are you addressing those? Sure. Um, you know, first and foremost, it's getting people to um, you know understand um, that this actually um, can be a, a better deal for them. You know, people are so used to um, you know not having to think about it, uh, and so you have to actually take time to work with them and present the information. Um, you know, which SelectQuote does in person, and then we do via our, our um, the exchange that we're uh, providing with them to make sure that they understand, you know, what the costs are, um, where the fund's going, uh, how is this getting administered, what the benefits are. And in many cases, um, what the seniors find is that the, you know, what they actually end up with is more choice and better coverage than they otherwise would have had. But it's, you know, it's a change. And people don't like change, and it takes time to understand that change. And so there's, you know, always some initial resistance. And SelectQuote's been a great partner working with us to kind of help bring this benefit to their uh, senior population. Uh, Dean, at the core, it seems like you're a real t- technology guy. I mean, you got a computer science degree from Yale, and uh, <laughs> can you tell us uh, sort of where t- technology is going from your perspective and how it's going to make it easier, not just for processing of, of dollars or doing the paperwork, but uh, how it's really going to uh, help the employees out there better understand their benefits? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I, I do have a um, technology, as you mentioned, I do have a technology background. Um, although um, the last you know 15 years, I've really been more on the um, you know operations and delivery mm-hmm. and um, and business side of this industry. And what is um, you know what's what's happening right now that I find so interesting is that you have the you know traditional world of benefits admin. 
and then you had sort of this exchange world that was off there and the mm-hmm. two of off to the side and then the two of them now are coming together yep. and the real winners in this are absolutely going to be the consumers because um, we're going to have a much more integrated seamless end-to-end uh, solutions and so if you think about even just what's going on now where folks go on to an exchange and 50 to 75 percent of those people depending on what study you look at select some kind of consumer directed healthcare mm-hmm. plan um, and then you know that's where the experience ends today well you know mm-hmm. as we roll forward over the next 18 to 24 months um, not only are they going to select a plan that works for them, which is most likely going to be some kind of consumer-directed plan, but then they're going to immediately roll into a seamless experience where the um, month-over-month administration um, is you know, tightly coupled with that, and it's a month-over-month-over-month experience, which is great for the exchange operators, it's great for the consumers, um, and it will really um, ease the experience of um, being in these types of plans. And the retiree market in particular like you see with the select quote um, solution that I described earlier, mm-hmm. is leading the way on this. So uh, the heavy movement towards account-based plans, what do you attribute that to? What's the, what's the real key out there for maybe somebody who hasn't uh, you know, really bought into the concept of uh, an account-based plan? Um, well, I, you know, I would say it's first and foremost um, that um, these plans um, work. But also, I think, you know, initially when the ACA came out, it didn't look like it was really going to favor these plans. Mm-hmm. And what people kind of figured out along the way, including the administration, frankly, was that if we were going to deliver on the promise of reducing the cost of health care and offering um, low-cost options, these types of plans are far and away the best option to do so. In fact, one of my little pet peeves about the industry is that we call these high deductible plan, high deductible mm-hmm. health plans. <laughs> and you know what I always try to say to consumers is these are actually low premium plans. <laughs> you know, instead right. of selling the negative, we should point out the reason these plans work so well for consumers is that the premiums on these plans are lower. And if you look at what ends up in your paycheck because you're not, you know, your premiums are being taken out by your employer on a payroll basis. If you look what's happening when you switch to these plans, you're actually bringing home a bigger paycheck, and then you can use that paycheck to fund um, your out-of-pocket expenses, and at the end of the year, you actually end up with more money. And so as people are waking up to that and they sit down at the kitchen table and look at the economics, um, you know, they realize, you know, this only makes sense. And then add to that, from the employer's perspective, that the total health care cost is coming down and mm-hmm. the wellness um, and um, the population health is going up. Um, you know, you got you got an absolute trifecta. Hey, Dean, we've got about uh, thirty forty five seconds to go. I want uh, you to leave our audience with a takeaway or two, please. Yeah, sure. Um, the you know these plans are absolutely here to stay. I'm incredibly excited about um, the future, um, not just for Aclaris, but for the healthcare market mm-hmm. in general and for consumers especially, um, because this is absolutely going to lead to a better overall experience more highly engaged consumers where people actually understand how their choices are inf- are affecting their financial and um, and medical health um, together. And so, um, you know, the future is very bright for this. Yeah, thanks, Dean. We, uh, we really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join us today. I look forward to uh, catching, with you, catching up with you again soon. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me on. Hey, the rest of our audience, stay tuned for the next segment of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Learn, connect, share. Join us every Friday at 11 o'clock 
To learn all those confusing issues around health care, Obamacare, Medicare, Medicaid, we'll help you find the answers, help you stay in compliance. Join us Friday at 11 o'clock. Membership. Are you an IHC member? Access to the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's breaking news, industry trends, expert blogs, and networking with IHC's industry-wide member community. IHC membership puts you at the focal point of the dynamic health and benefit industry, allowing you to join the conversation and collaborate with industry stakeholders and your peers. Your IHC membership includes a subscription to Healthcare Consumerism Solutions Magazine, Healthcare Exchange Solutions Magazine, Annual Publications Healthcare Solutions Superstars, and Healthcare Solutions Outlook, a free white paper, and much more. Sign up as a free IHC member or $99 premium IHC member today at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Solution providers, are you aware of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's multiple marketing platforms? You're invited to get a little closer to IHC with our Solution Provider Membership Marketing Program. Through IHC's exclusive Solution Provider Membership, your business gets an all-access pass to engaging your prospects. This membership embeds your business within the Institute, which immediately aligns your company, its solutions, and your key executives with the nationally credible IHC brand and shows your support of the healthcare consumerism movement as a market-wide solution. And that's just the beginning. Contact IHC's Managing Director, Brent Macy, today at bmacy at theihcc.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, this is Doug Field along with my co-host, uh, Ron Bachman, and welcome back to this segment of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. You know, in our first segment, we talked about account-based plans, defined contribution, and, you know, the, the consumer's movement uh to those type of plans, but the complete solution uh, for employees themselves, employers, cannot be totally addressed without a really an effective health management program that, that really helps their employees and families live healthier life. And, and joining us to talk about that is Dan Kay, President and CEO of Nurture. Dan, good morning. Good morning. How are you folks? I'm good. Terrific. Dan, good to talk to you. It's been a little while. Nice to, it has been a while, but it's great to hear your voice again. Yeah, nice to talk to you. Uh, give our audience a little background around Nurture, and then uh, like to get into this uh, discussion about healthcare is less about health and it's about life, which I really sure. Sure. First, first of all, um, I think your introduction related to the trend in the industry, I think, is is very important because understanding Nurture is certainly um, best understood in the context of the environment in which uh, we're, we're all uh, operating and. Certainly, the trend towards consumerism is something that continues, that, that has been going on, of course, for years, is um, being accelerated by the development of marketplaces and exchanges. And by my way of thinking, and I think by many's way of thinking, what's happening in healthcare is very similar to what happened in uh, retirement plans and pension plans years mm-hmm. ago, where um, there was a similar trend to- toward consumerism, and it's kind of known as 401ks. Yeah. And as 401ks came into place and consumers were asked to do more um, in terms of making their own choices, of course, there arose a whole industry around um, 
helping people with those choices. And, and Nurture calls our, we call ourselves a behavior change company, and, and it's really precisely because of that same trend occurring in healthcare, where um, as uh, individuals become true consumers of healthcare, their health, their underlying health status becomes increasingly important. And as we all know, um, health behaviors are a key determinant of one's health status. Mm -hmm. And so our focus is really on um, managing or helping people manage their own behaviors that change their trajectory for where they are um, headed in terms of their health uh, status and ultimately health care costs in the future. Yeah. Dan, you know, every consumer in a, in a workforce population, because we're really talking about, you know, health plans and employers and their members and employees and their families, everyone's different. Everyone's at a different place in the continuum of managing their health. So how, do you, how does Nurture meet, meet each one of them where they are? Uh, great question. And certainly the core premise of consumerism is that the services that are provided will be unique to that consumer and will meet that consumer's needs. And, and quite honestly, I think in the healthcare world, um, if you think about it, uh, I, I would say that healthcare is probably a area which has not um, really progressed in terms of meeting consumers where they are. You know, if you think of mm -hmm. all of our experiences going into a doctor's office, we're asked to fill out forms and then wait. And in fact, we, we sit there and wait. Um, and if you went into a retail store and had that experience, you'd probably not like that retail store. So meeting the consumer where they truly are, I think, is in incredibly important. And for the business that we're in, um, which is really providing those behavior change services, meeting them where they are involves r really a couple of things. First of all, it involves um, how we engage with them. And secondly, it involves with the what part of the engagement. What do we engage with them on? And so, first of all, in terms of how we engage, historically that has been done telephonically. Um, mm -hmm. there, there was probably an era when it was done face-to-face -face where we do experience some back to the future, if you will, as it relates to that, where um, we are increasingly finding clients who want us to provide health coaching services in a face-to-face -face environment, physically in the workplace. Um, but the core uh, approach, the core modality, has been telephonic mm -hmm. uh, over the years, and we see that changing markedly now um, as we uh, explore and further deploy technologies. So increasingly meeting them where they are may be um, not face-to-face, -face, may not be on a telephone, it may be some form of electronic modality where the, the coaching services are delivered through. Uh, that coaching can be delivered electronically either asynchronously uh, via some type of uh, secure messaging format or secure text format, or even synchronously, uh, for instance, we are uh, deploying increasingly um, use of video technology so that we can do face-to-face -face synchronously in an electronic means and not have to physically be in the same uh, room, if you will, as the person we're coaching. So that's the modality side of meeting them where they are. But the other element of meeting them where they are is as we think about changing someone's behavior um, or helping them change their behavior, there's really three component parts to that. There's educating them, sort of teaching them on, on the right thing to do, 
-hmm. Secondly, there is understanding that their priorities of their life, the environment in which they live, is a, is a key driver of those behaviors. Uh, said simply, if someone is dealing with a divorce or a uh, child who is having difficulty in school, that tends to take priority over um, eating properly or getting their exercise in or monitoring their blood sugar or whatever their, their health-related issue might be. And so um, the third component of, of behavior change is motivational science and, and kind of the, the science behind getting somebody motivated to make change. And meeting them where they are in terms of how we do it is really assessing an individual on those three component parts and then providing a service that meets their most pressing need as it relates to those three component parts. So if we attempt to talk to somebody about uh, pharmacotherapy of their um, lipids their, their hyper, or, or their hypertension and they're dealing with some emotional issue mm -hmm. in, the, in, in their life, it's very difficult to enable them to focus on their health if that emotional issue is taking precedent now. And so instead of saying to them, just sort of trying to educate them more on why they should do their, uh, why they should do what we're talking to them about with respect to their health, we really need to be prepared to address that life issue that they might raise to us. And we really need to be prepared to find out what motivates them personally, individually, not what motivates some very large segment of the population, but what moves them emotionally to change a behavior. And being brutally candid, I think our industry has a long way to go. Um, we are not perfect at it. We are mm -hmm. good at it, and we are getting better every day and investing heavily in it. But that's really what we have to do. Each, each intervention has to be personalized to that individual. Dan's Ron Bachman here. I think that um, that's a striking way to describe it and I think a very appropriate way um, about education, understanding, and motivation. I think it is a lacking piece in many services that just provide different ways to help address problems but don't get to some of the underlying causes as you're trying to do. Um, how do you do that and maintain the issue of privacy? And how open are people with the kinds of connections that we have that may not be face-to-face -face or eyeball-to-eyeball? -eyeball? How do you how do you elicit the kind of information that the individual may not even know or appreciate that's driving their behaviors? That's a great question, Ron. And I will tell you that um, you don't do mm -hmm. it by being prescriptive with mm -hmm. the with mm -hmm. the individual, right? So, right. Um, you know, un unfortunately, I think years ago, our industry felt, you know, I, I use the field of dreams analogy, right? The, the, for those of you who have seen the movie, um, if you build it, they will come. Well, the, my analogy there is if you tell them, they will do it. Well, they won't, right? <laughs> and so being prescriptive is clearly not the right way to do it. And, and I think our whole industry learned that um, years ago. And so, how you get them to expose to you uh, these really root cause issues is all about um, engagement and motivation and motivational interviewing. It's all about the training that we do around a coach who must be in a position to, to immediately um, impart to the participant that there is value to the conversation. We've all received... Mm -hmm. Uh, inquiry, if you will, from someone 
who is attempting to get us to change behaviors, right? The classic one is the telemarketing phone call. Right. <laughs> and none of us want to, you know, we, we all answer that phone and go, oh, my gosh, how am I going to get off this call? <laughs> and, and frankly, that's the issue we all face, whether it's over the phone or whether it's a text message or, or whatnot. Um, and so we have gone through extensive investment in training our staff on the psychology of getting people to engage um, and to uh, ask open-ended questions and, and very careful, specific open-ended questions that allow people to very quickly decide whether there is going to be value in this conversation or not. Another uh, simple example there is um, when we do engage with a member, we are incredibly respectful of their time right up front. Mm -hmm. So we're not, uh, you know, the, the poor individual on the other side of the engagement intervention or interaction isn't feeling like, okay, this could go on for a half an hour, right? right? They're feeling right. like within a couple of minutes, we will be very respectful of their time, and if this isn't working for them, we will, we will drop it. And, and the improvement in our, um, in our engagement has been incredible since then. And um, I, I would say that it's hard work. Uh, mm -hmm. I also would say that technology holds great promise to assist in that as a tool. Um, I think the jury is still a little bit out on whether technology can sustain behavior change, mm -hmm. but certainly it can get us started. Um, I, I, for one, uh, feel personally that my smartphone uh, certainly has helped me sustain behavior change. Mm -hmm. um, because I compete against myself, but uh, with, with many of the apps that I, that I have loaded on it. Well, what I'm hearing you say is that that relationship to your uh, your clients, you have to quickly develop a level of trust. They have to trust exactly. you in order to open up, and uh, and yep. sounds like that's what you try and do. Not only let them see the value, but they'll see the value and be open to it if they uh, if they feel there's a, a, a level of trust between you. Now, what I really appreciate what in in the way you know you describe your organization is this idea of it's not about health but it's about life uh, at the institute we've we've talked about that as really at the leading edge where not that many companies are out there and so it's wonderful to sort of see the industry and organizations like yours begin to move into um, uh, areas we actually call our fifth generation um, we talk about it going from uh, from health to longevity so that if you can convince people it's going to help your life and be more productive and live longer and happier, that that's a real key that uh, we really haven't tapped into and you're starting to tap into it. Now, I, I know we're running out of time, so let me pass it back to Doug to uh, do, do a little wrap-up and see what the final uh, points are that you want to uh, leave the audience with. Yeah, Dan, we've got about uh, a minute and a half to go. I'd like to get, uh, allow you some time to kind of wrap this up and leave our audience with some, some takeaways. Sure, Doug. Um, thank you. I, I guess, you know, I, I look back on where we've been and where we're heading, and um, it, it strikes me often now with over 30 years' experience in the industry how much I have to learn and how much we all learn every day. And I, I leave you with a simple vignette that early on I, I, um, I, I used to think this was an education business, that what we needed to do was teach people what to do, and of course they would do it. And as I listened in on our coaches' calls, and I would hear um, our, the, the people that we speak to, uh, that we work with, say to us, I know. They kept saying, I know, and then they would say the word, but. <laughs> and after the word, but, usually came something we were ill-prepared to deal with, because the but was something about their life. 
Um, it was, I know, but, I know I'm supposed to eat more, better, but, I know I'm supposed to exercise, but, um, and, and I don't think our industry acknowledged that, but, and, and it took us a long time to do that, and, and we went out and took a pretty big risk. We acquired a work-life EAP company because the work-life EAP industry knows about those things that come after the word but, and I think um, the, the thing that really does set us apart is we are tangibly trying to blend those capabilities, to blend that health management capability that comes from a diabetes educator with the uh, ability to deal with what comes after the word but from uh, what is typically considered the work-life EAP industry. And we, we call it people management and yeah. people care. Uh, hey, Dan, we got to nurture you, people care. Yeah. So hopefully that helps. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. Sorry to come up the hard stop, but, we're not, uh, nope. but I really appreciate you joining us. Have a great weekend. I look forward to talking to you again soon. The rest of our audience, stay tuned for the next segment of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Learn, connect, share. Join us every Friday at 11 o'clock to learn all those confusing issues around healthcare, Obamacare, Medicare, Medicaid. We'll help you find the answers, help you stay in compliance. Join us Friday at 11 o'clock. Certification. Do you know why becoming a certified healthcare consumerism specialist is more important than ever in 2014? Adding this specialized designation to your credentials tells employers or your clients that you understand how much our industry has changed and how to navigate that change successfully. IHC University's certification program offers coursework both online and live at their biannual forum conference series, and testing is completed online. Reaffirm your position as a leader in the health and benefit management industry. Download our certification overview and learn more at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, this is Doug Field along with my co-host, uh, Ron Bachman, and welcome back to this segment of Healthcare Consumers and Radio. We're very pleased to have uh, a, an upcoming speaker at Forum West to be joining mm-hmm. us today to talk about his subject, and uh, it's Ross Miller, uh, MD and medical executive with Cerner Corporation. Ross, good morning. Uh, good morning or good afternoon, depending on what time zone you're in. <laughs> there you Glad go. to be here. There you go. Hey, uh, first of all, I look forward to seeing you soon. I uh, look forward to seeing you next week at IHC Forum West in uh, Las Vegas. Um, I will be there. Yeah. I'll be presenting in the afternoon yeah. on Monday. Yeah. Give us um, a little background around Cerner, and then let's talk about the chiropractic piece, which I think is very interesting, uh, you know, what you're doing there and what you see there. Uh, sure. I think... Um, in general, uh, most people may know Cerner as sort of a, a big electronic medical record company, mm-hmm. having been in business for 35 years and, and having uh, about a third of all the hospitals and health systems in the United States uh, using the electronic health record. Uh, but what most people do not know about Cerner uh, is the fact that uh, for the last 10 years or so, uh, we've had uh, a, a very strong health benefit and health and wellness journey that we've taken actually with our own uh, associates um, as Cerner employees over that time as well, and that we have a very strong presence now in the wellness space, in the on-site health center space, uh, as well as uh, benefit administration work with uh, self-insured employers that have taken the living lab, as we call it, at Cerner, as a self-insured employer ourselves, 
and then been able to um, uh, spread it into their own organizations uh, on a national level. My particular role was center on the national medical director mm-hmm. uh, working with our population health services uh, division, and I'm responsible for the oversight uh, of our uh, on-site health centers. We have uh, about 40 of them in 20 states for 30 different employers uh, around the country. So, so you know, I, I think we all see the, same, the, the, the parallel that on-site health centers and even near-site health centers are really exploding and growing because they do offer, you know, not only cost benefits to that employer, but, you know, real benefits to helping that employee and their families uh, better manage their health and health care. Uh, but you're doing some unique things with the inclusion of chiropractic. Talk a little bit about that. Um, sure. Well, um, as you stated, that the on-site health centers, you know, predominant focus is really providing kind of holistic care uh, that is evidence-based. Um, it is a managed type of care compared to uh, the care that may be received into the community. And there's a strong focus within Cerner, especially uh, as part of our quality management program, um, for focusing on outcomes and then taking our data from the uh, experience within the on-site health centers and presenting and or peer review publishing some of those results. So the fact that musculoskeletal uh, is, when you kind of look at the big uh, national data on dry cost drivers for self-insured employers, whether it's blue collar or white collar, uh, the musculoskeletal area along with other things like diabetes and, and obesity, um, seem to be a large driver uh, with considerable economic and, and clinical burden for the employees and the employers. And so uh, with that in mind, uh, the idea of having on-site chiropractic care uh, came to us to say um, this would be a way for us to not only manage the appropriateness of the care from a chiropractic chiropractic basis compared to uh, potentially how that care is given by community-based chiropractors, um, but also be able to, um, know, and knowing that some folks kind of believe in physical therapy, other folks believe in chiro, consider it to be a complementary rather than an alternative as part of the holistic care that is provided in a medical home and in a primary care setting. So that's kind of where our uh, initial thoughts for having chiropractic care on site uh, at our wellness uh, and health centers for their Cerner associates kind of came to fruition. Ross, Ron Bachman here. The um, the inclusion of chiropractic care is um, is interesting to me because um, you know I believe employees ought to have choices and ought to be different options, and we're certainly seeing different. Um, you know, allied professionals uh, being offered up as well as uh, chiropractic care. Um, we're here in Georgia in a more rural area where in many of the uh, rural markets, uh, the chiropractor is the leading and maybe the only uh, medical provider in the community, usually leading citizens. And so there's not as much hesitation about using chiropractors. But tell us how the transition has occurred, because we're seeing it more and more across the country. I think the general population is more frequenting uh, chiropractors. What's changed over the years between, because you're an MD, what's changed over the years? Because the medical profession for many years was very resistant to chiropractors. And so for those in our audience who may still be in that kind of in-between, not quite understanding um, the chiropractic services versus uh, the traditional medical doctor, can you can you help them understand what's been happening in, uh, with the uh, those 
relationships and the services provided? Um, sure. So it's a great question, and I think um, what was going on it, uh, originally, or at least initially, um, chiropractors were uh, essentially treating the entire spectrum of, of healthcare diseases. Um, having actually been a previous uh, speaker um, in a chiropractic uh, college on faculty uh, and focusing on sort of helping to decide what are the appropriate areas that are within the scope of service from both a uh, training perspective and educational perspective and sometimes even from a licensure and regulatory compliance perspective at a state level of what is within the scope. And in rural areas where the chiropractor may be the only clinician, you know, that scope of service may potentially expand um, a bit. But I think the hesitation on the MD and the physician community side of things was when chiropractors were doing, let's say, spinal adjustments to treat type 1 diabetes in a, in mm-hmm. a uh, school-aged child. Which you know didn't have at least from the scientific rigor and evidence-based background very much support. However, I think the um, short answer to your question is that musculoskeletal was never an area of um, concern. Mm-hmm. And with the fact that t- in today's discussion on the on the show and the results of our research that I'll present, um, it really is focused on musculoskeletal care, and I actually don't think that there's been as much hesitation on the sort of MD side of the house uh, as long as the scope of service and the disease states for which the chiropractic community is adding additional clinical value remain somewhat more limited than maybe in past decades. On the musculoskeletal, um, it is a very, um, you know, um High cost many times and 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 high frequency um, uh, medical condition that people have to deal with. There's also a number of studies out there that would indicate a lot of the muscular skeletal problems come from stress. That it um, you know it 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 it, it manifests itself with uh, with muscular skeletal issues. Um, how, how do you factor into psychology or do you into your treatments as well? Um, well, it's only the sort of the uh, idea that the on-site health center, uh, as I mentioned earlier, really is holistic. And it really to- looks at the total person and integrates behavioral and psychological with uh, traditional medical-related health. Um, and so I don't think there's any disagreement, um, but uh, with the idea of not only looking at the patient as a musculoskeletal patient, but looking at the patient in that more broad, general approach that goes through their other comorbidities, that goes through their other life stresses, that goes through everything from their ergonomics in the workplace to the kinds of, of physical labor that they may do in a in a blue-collar manufacturing type of plant, uh, to, their, to their posture, to other types of um, uh, 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 attributing factors mm-hmm. that would include the behavior and, and, and stress as well. Um, and because all of the on-site chiropractic care that we have in our health centers is integrated with a primary care provider uh, and there is a shared uh, electronic medical record as well between the two, it helps with that ability to not have the chiropractor practice in isolation. 
Uh, Ross, we've got about uh, a couple minutes to go. I want to give you a chance to kind of wrap this and leave our audience oh. with some takeaways, plus how uh, they sure. can find more yeah, information. I just wanted to kind of share the results. We've done a couple of peer-reviewed publications already. And what we did is we did an analysis kind of comparing uh, folks that used an on-site uh, health center for chiropractic care versus those that didn't. And uh, we studied almost 16,000 um, associates, and we actually looked at several different outcomes. So one is that folks that used on-site chiropractic care were significantly more likely to receive um, less radiology services than those that went into the community. A lot of the response that we heard was, well, I went to my chiropractor in the community. They initially gave me two or three medications for pain. They initially ordered several radiological studies and they scheduled all 16 of my visits when I first walked in the door. And if you have a more managed on-site controlled uh, perspective for use of chiropractor in a more evidence-based fashion, um, that was helpful to be able to um, see from a cost perspective for the employer uh, a lowering of, of radiological uh, procedures. The other things were just the number of visits the number of repeated visits, the number of emergency department visits, um, and even just out any type of outpatient medical visits were all higher in the community-based Cairo versus those that were on site. Uh, the final point, which is important, is the kind of question back to us, which is, well, if you limit the number of visits or you're more restrictive in the management, do people actually still get better? And we actually did a uh, analysis to make sure, using three different uh, standardized validated instruments for improving uh, neck pain, migraine, or low back pain, which were the three main diagnoses we studied, and actually found clinically and statistically significant improvement in their scale in the in these validated scales for the patients enrolled in the study that used the onsite, despite the fact that they used less drugs have less x-rays, have less visits, and less referrals. Well, Russ, kind of a high-level summary. No, that's very good, Ross, and we really appreciate you uh, joining us today. And, you know, for those of you attending uh, uh, IHC Forum West, Ross will be conducting a workshop on November 11th to 2.30. Uh, for those not, you'll be able to access his presentations after the event on our website. Ross, have a great weekend. We look forward to seeing you out in Las Vegas. To the, re the rest of our audience, uh, we'll, we'll see you next week on Healthcare Consumerism Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.